Welcome to the 159th episode of the 4th and 24 podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Winograd. In this edition, our topics are a brief overview of my weekend predictions and our weekly look at the MLB. So let's jump right in with a look back at those weekend predictions. I only predicted in the MLB this weekend, going 3-1, bringing my overall record to 429-302, and a 58.7% winning percentage, a slight uh, increase from last week after I had gone 1-3 in that week, a little bounce-back week for me. Um, In the only series I lost, the Phillies took 2-3 of from the Cardinals, but for the three wins, the Yankees swept the Guardians, the Mets took 2-3 of from the Rangers, and the Astros swept the Angels. Starting in that Cardinals-Phillies series, uh, this was Nolan Arenado's series to take over, pretty much. He started off the series hitting for the cycle on Friday, and while his triple and home run allowed the Cardinals to take a 3-0 lead early in the game, they would eventually give up five unanswered runs to the Phillies in the 5th, 6th, and 7th innings, and the Phillies took the game one of the series, 5-3. Then he hit the first of four back-to-back-to-back-to-back home runs, which has only happened 11 times in MLB history, for the Cardinals in the first inning on Saturday. After the Phillies tied it at 5-5 and also at 6-6, Arenado hit a solo home run in the top of the ninth off Sir Anthony Dominguez to take a 7-6 lead. But in Game 3 of the series, Arenado only managed a single and got caught stealing shortly after, and the Cardinals as a team could not push across a single run. With Zach Wheeler on the mound for the Phillies, he threw seven scoreless innings to lead the Phillies to a 4-0 lead with Castellanos, Real Muto, and Reese Hoskins scoring and driving in all of the four runs, one of them on a solo home run by Reese Hoskins, one of them a single that scored Reese Hoskins by Nick Castellanos after Reese had barely missed a home run uh, and settled for a double, and then Real Muto hit a two-run home run to drive home Castellanos in that same inning after Castellanos had the single. Um, So that was... Trending towards a close game, and I might have gone 4-0 this week, but uh, that, that Sunday night game on ESPN did not go well for me, unfortunately. But, you know, as I said, 3-1 this week. I'll take it. And let's move on to one of those other series in the Yankees-Guardian series. The first game of the series was postponed due to rain, which set up a doubleheader on Saturday. But after the Guardians hit back-to-back solo home runs in the second inning... Their offense went back to sleep for the rest of the day. Uh, They would only add on two extra runs in the rest of the game, while the Yankees pushed across 13 runs in a 13-4 victory. And and in the second game of the doubleheader, I should say, the same story continued. The Yankees would go on to win Game 2 of the doubleheader 6-1, and while the Guardians bounced back to take Game 3 of the series 2-0, they were merely avoiding a sweep at the hands of the Yankees at home. Uh, but, you know, good result for me there. That's exactly what I... I, I didn't exactly predict them. I, I wasn't necessarily banking on a sweep or not, but I, I did uh, obviously predict uh, the Yankees to win that series, and they were able to win that series. And I think I might have said they got swept earlier, but I meant to say they took two of three. My bad. Um, the Rangers and the Mets, Eduardo Escobar hit a home run in all three games of this series to help lead the Mets to the series win over the Rangers. But going game by game, in Game 1, the Rangers took a 1-0 lead, but after a Mark Canna RBI single, Eduardo Escobar hit the first of his three home runs in the series, which was a three-run home run as part of a four-run fourth inning for the Mets. The Rangers made it 4-3 in the end, but the Mets held on for the win. In Game 2, Cole Calhoun homered twice, including a three-run home run in a four-run second inning for the Rangers, 
And despite an Eduardo Escobar solo home run somewhere in the middle innings of the game, they were able to hang on to win 7-3. And in the grudge match of the series on Sunday in Game 3, Eduardo Escobar hit a two-run home run in a three-run fourth inning. Sounds kind of familiar. And the Mets' bullpen went on to secure the lead as the Mets would go on to win that game 4-1. to one. So overall, good weekend for the Mets, too. And then finally, you have the Astros, who swept the Angels over the weekend. And uh, there's no other way to describe it. The Astros flat-out crushed the Angels this weekend. The Angels started the series with an Otani second-deck home run. So everything was looking good for them, but Christian Javier would go back would, sorry, would bounce back to strike out 14 Angels in just seven innings in an 8-1 to victory for the Astros. In Game 2, Jose Urquidy struck out eight Angels while Martin Maldonado hit two home runs to raise his average to a glorious 153 on the season as the Astros would go on to win 9-1. By the way, I mentioned that average not to bash Maldonado, but to talk about the fact how the Astros were dominating the Angels in every fact of this series. There was no point where the Angels really had any control or any chance to win. Uh, they even had a play where Taylor Ward thought Jose Altuve was going to throw the ball and play catch with him, and Martin Maldonado snuck up behind him and tagged him up and tagged him out. You can go look at that um, on your own, but uh, it's really hard to explain that play, but uh, it was an interesting one for sure. And uh, look, again, not to bash Maldonado, but it was really just coming from everywhere from the Astros this weekend. They started the weekend a little bit injured, as I mentioned, the Jordan Alvarez and Jeremy Pena injuries at the end of the week, but at the same time, it didn't amount to anything. Alvarez played most of the series, Pena played most of the series, and even in Game 3 of the series, he will play. He played an important role, but uh, look, everybody just was beating up on the Angels this weekend from the Astros, the pitching staff, uh, the, the rotation and the bullpen, uh, and also every pretty much every hitter. Uh, but while the Angels got swept in the series... There was a positive side to the series, too. They set a record. I guess, never mind, it's not really that positive of a record because, uh, well, in Game 3 of the series, the Angels would go on to tie the MLB record for the most strikeouts in a 9-inning game, striking out 20 times against the Astros in the final game of the series. And to add insult to that injury, after taking a 2-0 lead in the game, they would, you know, trying to avoid a sweep, they would lose on Jeremy Pena's second home run of the game, which was a two-run walk-off home run to set to straightaway center field. Something very hard to do uh, in Houston, by the way, because that is a very deep center field. Uh, look, I, I don't have words, honestly. The Angels are just not good, and the Astros really have their number, and frankly, they have the number of the rest of the division, too, but... uh. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, my predictions for next weekend's games will be posted on our website on Thursday. Uh, and let's move on to the MLB. As always, we will start in the American League, uh, starting with the AL East. The New York Yankees are still atop this division at 58-22. and 22. That 725 winning percentage puts them on pace for 117 wins which I guess now they're not on pace to break the record anymore, but that changes every day. I mean, they get one win, they get one loss, and the pace is different. But uh, by the way, it's also 117 and a half wins, so they could get pretty close to, they're pretty much right on pace to do that and break that record. Maybe, we'll see. Uh, but look, they're 58 and 22, and with that record, especially that 34-9 home record, it's pretty impossible to see anybody catching up to them at this point. 
in the season. I would like to not call a race over this early, but uh, if you were ever going to, this pace would be the type of pace that maybe you could call a series over this early on. Uh, it's important to note that there are 13 and a half games above the Boston Red Sox. So, you know, barring a catastrophic meltdown by the Yankees, the historic pace that they're on has allowed them to jump out to that lead. And I mean, at this point, it seems insurmountable, right? But, um, you know, I, we can talk about the other teams in the division. I feel like we talk about the Yankees so much every week. And, you know, I'm not a Yankees hater, but it, it can get a little boring because, you know, you're hearing it everywhere. Everybody's talking about the Yankees because of the fact that, well, they have played that well this season and they deserve all the praise that they've been getting. But, you know, we talk about them enough, uh, So, and I already talked about their dominance over the weekend against the Guardians, so I'll move on from the Yankees talk. I talk about their pace. You know, th th look, they're on a, a pace for a historic amount of wins. That's all you can say about them. They are just that good this year, um, at least right now with, with their team pretty much fully healthy. Uh, we'll see what happens. You know, injuries always happen late in the season. We'll see how that might affect them. We'll see if it doesn't affect them. If it does, they'd be one of the luckiest teams of all time, uh, if it doesn't, I should say. Um, but let's move on from that. Let's talk about uh, the rest of the division where, look, everybody's pretty good. I mean, the most losses in this division is 36 outside of the Orioles, obviously. Uh, but every, every, I mean, every one of these teams would be leading the AL Central at this point in the season, I think. So it's pretty crazy that, uh, well, every one of them, again, except the Orioles, not to bash the Orioles. We'll get to them in a second, but the Red Sox at 44 and 35 are just 13 and a half games back. I say just as a joke. Uh, the Blue Jays are 44 and 36. They're a half game behind the Red Sox for second in the division. And, you know, that would constitute the first wild card spot, I believe. So when I say second place in the division, it's pretty much just saying first place in the wild card race at this point. Because, um, you know, maybe not so important to note how many games they're back from first place anymore. Uh, and then the Tampa Bay Rays are at 43 and 36. They are 14 and a half games back, which means they're a half game back of the Blue Jays for third and one game, one full game back of the Red Sox for first in the division, despite taking three out of five from the Blue Jays in Toronto over the weekend. That was a big result for them. Uh, they're, they're, in, they're in the middle of a big stretch in their season, at least probably the most important to date. Uh, they're playing... They played Toronto, as I said, in a five-game series, a pretty rare big series for them, but uh, f played them for a five-game series. Then they are they took three out of five, by the way, so good results for them. And now they still have to play the Red Sox in Boston for three games, and then again at home starting Monday for the next four games after that. So they are playing a lot of divisional opponents in a very short amount of time. Uh, we'll see how they get through it, and we'll see what that means for the overall course of their season. But for now, they sit in fourth behind those other teams. And then, you know, let, let's get to the bottom of the division. The Orioles are 36 and 44. Um, again, they're the best last place team in baseball by far, which, you know, isn't much of an achievement. But I would argue the Orioles are very happy that that's where they are. I mean, they, I think they came into this year knowing that they would be in last place, considering the talent everywhere else in the division. However, I don't think they necessarily believe they could be the best last place team as, you know, as kind of, I guess, rude, sarcastic, whatever word you want to use for it, it sounds. It is true. Uh, and something that's really a big positive for them, not only are they the best last place team, they had a winning month. And, you know, that sounds also like a joke, but 
This was their first winning month since August of 2017. They went 14 and 12 in June. Uh, and look, I keep saying this team has a future ahead of them. I keep saying the results they're having right now are strong and indicative of that. I think people can believe me now because, look, that winning month, it, it signifies a lot. It signifies that they're really starting to turn the corner. And hopefully, I mean, obviously the teams ahead of them in their division are going to continue to get better. Uh, but they're also getting older while the Orioles are already young and their version of getting older is just getting more experience while the other team's versions of getting older is maybe losing some production uh, as they get, you know, older in terms of really getting up there in age. But when you look at it that way, the, the Orioles are in a pretty decent place. I don't think they really have much to complain about at the moment. And uh, look, they keep getting better and better and their young core will help them continue to do so in the future but let's move on from the AL East surprisingly with all those good teams there's not that much to talk about because of the fact that the race itself isn't actually very close and you're really talking about that then you're just getting into the wild card race and let's be honest there's not really much of a wild card race when you're talking about being on July 4th uh, which by the way happy 4th of July I guess but you know that you can't really talk about the wild card race this early in the year it's it's useful for some measures uh, to compare teams cross division, but or across divisions, but not not that useful when you're talking about just individual teams and how they've been doing. So I'll move on from that, and I will talk about the AL Central. In the AL Central, the Twins still have the division lead. They are 45 and 37 on the season. Uh, the Guardians are in second at 40 and 36, and the White Sox are in third at 38 and 39. The Tigers are in fourth at 30 and 47. And the Royals are dead last at 29 and 48. Something that I think is incredibly ironic is that the Royals are as close to their division lead as the second place teams are in both the AL West and the AL East. Although, let's not compare the Red Sox to the Mariners here. There are very different reasons for those teams to be where they are. But uh, we'll get to how that AL West lead is so big in a second. But look. The Royals being the same amount of games out of their division lead from the Red Sox is just, it's just astonishing. I mean, it's something that it should not happen at all. And yet here we are just the way luck breaks down. The good news is with the new wildcard format, you're not going to have two teams from the AL East playing each other just to get into the playoffs for a one game playoff. And then, you know, I mean, look, they all have better records than the Twins do. So it's, a, again, talking about the AL East, but, um, you know the Twins are going to probably play one of those three teams, at, at least it looks like it. The winner of this division will, for sure. Uh, might, might not be the Twins, but at the moment, it looks like it will be them. Um, so, it's an interesting thing to think about. But, while we're on this division, and, you know, Royals barely being, well, not barely, but having the same amount of distance between them as the Red Sox and the Yankees do, um, the White Sox, they're kind of the story of the week here. I mean, all these teams are between four and six and six and four in their last 10. So it's not like it's been too interesting for any of them. But during a rather uneventful week, as I'm kind of talking about, uh, the White Sox swept the Giants at Oracle over the weekend. And now they're only four and a half games back of the Twins, but their numerous injuries are still kind of haunting them. So it's hard to say whether they can actually sustain um, a few weeks of high-level play with the roster's current construction to actually completely close that gap and maybe even take the lead. However, Lance Lynn has been good since his return, so that's a positive for this team. And overall, things are pretty encouraging, and despite the Guardians' hot month of June, the White Sox are still only two and a half games back of them, 
Uh, unfortunately for them, that still wouldn't put you in the wild card race. The the White Sox being good, if they're able to take over the division, maybe they can push a team like the Rays out of the playoffs, and maybe we won't have four teams from the AL East. We might have a Central representative. I don't think we're going to have an AL West representative for many, many different reasons. Uh, but it's interesting to see the, the White Sox playing like this, because again, I had the White Sox and the Blue Jays as my ALCS before the season. I am not obviously sticking to that at this point, because, you know, the Yankees are the Yankees. Uh, and frankly, the Astros are, are the Astros are looking better than any of those teams other than the Yankees. And I think both the Astros and the Yankees are far above anybody at the moment. Uh, but we'll still, you know, still have to see what happens at the deadline. And can the Blue Jays pitching just, you know, not continue to pitch as poorly as they have from guys who are actually have a lot of talent. Uh, but anyway, I keep talking about the Blue Jays other divisions, you know. I, I just make that point to say that I, the White Sox had lofty preseason expectations, and just with all the injuries, it feels like it's not really that fair to still hold them to that expectation, but this team, I think you can still argue, should be better than it is. I think hovering around 500, but never really going over, is worse than this team should be, despite all the injuries. I think they at least need to be an above 500 team. You know, they can be kind of where the Giants are, where they're, you know, hovering around it. 40 and 37. They could be even in, you know, the Phillies range of 42 and 38. Something like that, I feel like, is more like where the White Sox should be, regardless of the injuries. Um, and then, obviously, if they were fully healthy, they need to be winning this division. They're not fully healthy, though. They really haven't been all season, so I'm not going to fault them for it. Uh, but at the same time, with how the injuries have been going, they're going to have to figure out how to get up there at some point, because otherwise injuries continue to happen. We all know this. This happens in every sport. Everybody's going to keep getting injured. It might not necessarily be the same volume, and, uh, you know, the guys might not be as important as they currently are to the White Sox, but they, they're, they're still going to have guys injured down the stretch, and they need to figure out how to deal with it and start winning games with the guys that they do have, uh, get a little better in terms of having their depth, their organizational depth come up and play well, and maybe that just proves that they don't have much of it. But, uh... We'll move on from the White Sox. Uh, the Tigers have had some interesting things going on with Riley Green's debut. He's probably been their best hitter since he's come up. Uh, it makes you wonder what would have happened if he was at the top of the lineup for the whole year. Maybe they, I, I can guarantee they wouldn't be 17 games under 500. I don't know if they would be above 500 or at 500 or really near it, but he would have made the difference in a few games. Uh, he had a walk-off over the weekend, but uh, overall, this division, kind of like the NL Central, not the most interesting to talk about. So I'll move on from it. To a division that's even less interesting to talk about when you talk about first versus second place, but everything else in it is pretty interesting. The Astros in the AL West currently hold a 13 and a half game lead over the Mariners. Yes, the Mariners are as close to first place in their division as the Royals are in the AL Central, despite being at the bottom. Uh, but look, the Astros have just been a really, really good team. They have. It, this is not really the fault of anybody in the AL West. Well, it's the Angels' fault. Uh, but the Mariners have been playing well recently. I mean, we'll we'll go back to the Astros in a few seconds, but Mariners are they've won two in a row. They're seven and three in their last ten, and now they're going to have a real test playing the Padres, who are looking to bounce back from a rough series against the Dodgers over the weekend. Uh, again, get to that series in a little bit too. But I'll go back up to the Astros. They're fifty-one and twenty-seven, despite the Mariners having that seven and three record in the last ten games, which is actually the second best record in the last ten games in the entire AL. Um, they're still 13 and a half games back. The Astros, on the other hand, are eight and two in their last 10, marking the best record in the last 10 games for any AL team. And they've won six in a row. 
So they have actually ex expanded their lead over the Mariners, despite even the Mariners doing their best and having a few good weeks here. Uh, the Mariners, again, 13 and a half games back. The Rangers still 13 and a half games back. They're five and five in their last 10. Uh, the Angels are 37 and 44. They're 15 and a half games back. They've lost three in a row. I talked about the strikeout record in the game. I did hear it being floated around that they might have struck out the most in a three-game series over the weekend as well. I couldn't find that to like confirm it or anything, so I didn't I didn't want to say that officially in the series recap. But I mean, as I said, Christian Javier struck out 14 Angels in seven innings in the first game, and then they struck out 20 times, which was a nine-inning record. So I wouldn't be surprised uh, if they did set that record this weekend. So look, everything's turning terrible for the Angels. Mike Trout has like a 125 average since last weekend. Everything is going poorly for them right now, um, except for Shohei. Shohei continues to be Shohei, but everybody else is really just not doing well. Uh, and then that, and then you know the A's at the bottom of the division, 26 and a half games back at 26 and 55. That is pretty crazy to be 26 and a half games back in mid-July. Uh, and you know even the Orioles aren't even that far back of the Yankees, despite the Yankees being on pace to maybe break the wins record in the season. Uh, but those two teams at the bottom of the division, I mean, look, the A's did give up, like, pretty much their entire team in free agency and in trades this season, so that's not surprising, but the Angels are just such a massive disappointment. I mean, you know, they even brought in pitching this year that was supposed to be better. Uh, I would debate that maybe I could have overrated that a little bit. I thought they'd at least be a decent pitching staff, and I don't know necessarily if the numbers back up that they have been or not. Taking a look at them, they're kind I mean, they got better. You can say that for sure, because last year they had an ERA of 4.69, uh, which was 22nd in the league. And then this year they're at 17th with a 3.94. So, I mean, by that mark, yeah, they've been better. Uh, I, I'll give them that. They have improved their pitching staff in, in, overall, but I don't think that was the degree they wanted to improve it. I don't think average is enough to be a playoff team. I mean, Look at some of the teams ahead of them. You have Texas. You have Cleveland. I mean, Cleveland is on the border of being a playoff team, but Texas is not. Texas is under 500. The Marlins are under 500. Uh, Seattle is above them in the division, but most people would say they shouldn't be based on the uh, the Angels roster. And then, you know, you have all the winning teams, the big teams, the, the Astros, the Dodgers, the Rays, etc. But... Uh, Overall, I don't think that they want to be surrounded by Baltimore and Cleveland in terms of VRA. I think they wanted to be more near the range of Seattle and Atlanta and Minnesota this season, who are 7th and 8th and 9th at 3.67, 3.7, and 3.74 on the season in terms of VRA. Uh, so I, I think I can say that while we thought they were getting better, they definitely did, uh, they didn't get as much better as we thought they were going to and as much as they needed to to be a real contending team. I'm not putting the nail in the coffin on the season yet, but 3.94 doesn't even feel like it's their staff underachieving. It feels like that's exactly where they should be. So I, I don't really think that it's going to get that much better for them. They're just going to need to hit their way out of the slump. And, you know, losing a guy like Anthony Rendon uh, isn't going to help that. Having Mike Trout not hitting well isn't going to help that. So everything is not trending the right way for the Angels, regardless of whether they were good at it or not at the beginning of the season or even last year. So uh, they're not having a good season, but let's move on from that. Let's talk about uh, the teams that are having a good season. Let's go to the NL. 
uh, in the NL East, which maybe is the strongest division in baseball after recent slumps by the NL West, or a few teams in the NL West, I should say. You can make this argument. I think they don't have the depth because Arizona is much better than Washington, but the New York Mets at the top are 49-30. and 30. That's a half game back of the Dodgers for the best record in the NL. Uh, they have a three-and-a-half game lead over the Braves despite going four and six in their last 10. The Braves are at 46-34. and 34. The Phillies are seven and a half games back of the Mets, four back of the Braves at 42 and 38, while the Marlins have won four in a row, and they're 11 games back, although they're creeping up to 500 at 37 and 40, and then in last place, you have the Nationals at 29 and 52, 21 games back. They had a bad series over the weekend. That was a sweep at the hands of the Marlins. The Marlins took four games this weekend over the Nationals, uh, but look, let's go back to the top of this division. I want to talk about this. I really do think the Braves had their opportunity to catch up to the Mets. And I wouldn't say the opportunity is over because the Braves obviously can catch up to the Mets because they're a talented team. They won the title for a reason last year. But their window to do it easily, it's closed, I think. Um, they had they did a good job, though. They shaved the lead down to just three and a half games despite a very, very rough start to the season. Uh, but now the Mets are getting back to full strength again. Max Scherzer is scheduled to start tomorrow in the majors, while Jacob deGrom carved up a single-A lineup over the weekend. So maybe, and I actually don't know how many relief starts he, or sorry, how many starts rehab, not relief starts, uh, he's supposed to be making, but I would assume he starts in single-A, eventually goes up to double-A, and then either goes straight from double-A to the MLB, or maybe from double-A to triple-A, and then the MLB. Uh, but... I'd say I'm going to guess it's probably two or three weeks is when he's going to return, maybe three-ish or four more starts in the minors. It's hard to tell. Uh, somebody probably has the information out there, but I haven't been following it that much. I've been more interested in the fact that Scherzer is returning imminently, uh, and that's going to that, that, really change the divisional race. The Mets have kind of been slumping recently, but they've still been treading above water. It's just that they haven't been, you know dominating like they were at the beginning of the season. They, they kind of built up a cushion, and now the cushion has... It's definitely been shaved down a little bit, but they're still ahead. They're still in the lead. That's a positive. And uh, look, they have an opportunity to add on to that lead while they are playing the Reds at the beginning of the week, while the Braves are playing the Cardinals, who are hungry after their season after their weekend series loss to the Phillies. Uh, then after one series for both of them in the middle of the week, or sorry, next weekend, I guess, they will play each other for three games in Atlanta. And oftentimes, these few weeks before the All-Star break can make or break your season, and this stretch, in my opinion, is no different for these teams. The Mets might be able to build their lead back up to six or even seven games with the sweep of the Reds, uh, considering the Braves are playing the Cardinals. And then by the time they play them, if the Braves the Braves probably have to take that series. They really, Frankly, they might need a sweep to really put the Mets in their place, but... Uh, if they're able to hold their own against the Cardinals and take that series, take three out of four against the Cardinals, because it is a four-game series, I wouldn't be too worried no matter what happens in Atlanta uh, between the Braves and the Mets. But if they're only splitting that series against the Cardinals or if the Cardinals are taking that series, then that series against the Mets becomes very, very important because all of a sudden that lead that they had worked so hard to diminish down might go all the way back up to eight or nine games by the time we're at the All-Star break. So a very, very important stretch for them. However, for the Braves, they got some uh, reinforcements too. They got Tyler Matzik and Eddie Rosario activated earlier today. Uh, the Phillies, on the other hand, in third place, lost Bryce Harper to a thumb injury for an estimated six to eight weeks. So they're just hoping to stay afloat like the Mets have for the last few weeks. Uh, well, really for the last month. 
Uh, and they're going to add some pieces at the deadline probably and keep their current spot in the NL wildcard. That is what they're aiming to do. I don't know whether they're going to be able to do it or not. Honestly, considering how rough they started, they're looking pretty good to do that because Harper was injured for some stretch in between there too. So I, I don't think they're going to lose that spot necessarily, but it'll definitely tighten up and uh, they're going to need to keep going to make sure that they actually do get that spot. Actually, at the moment, they're actually out of the wild card now that I think about it because the Cardinals, the Braves, and the Padres are ahead of them, but they, they need to keep where they are just a few games out of that spot, not multiple because if that deficit gets too big, they're just relying on one of these teams to blow up at the end of the year uh, to actually get into the playoffs, and that's not something you should be relying on. But in the bottom of this division, look, the Marlins give this division some good depth. They're a competitive team that can push you a little bit, but they're probably not going to take series from you. They shouldn't, at least, especially if you're a top series, uh, a top team in this division. But uh, they've been good. They, they've been decent this season, and I think that's about where they aim to be. They're being competitive this year, and then I guess the hope is maybe next year, once everybody's a little bit older, kind of like the Orioles, then maybe you can compete in this really tough division. Maybe you don't. And we'll see what happens there. Uh, it'll be interesting to see them at the trade deadline because they don't really have many veterans, but I also don't really see why they would try to make this team worse. I don't think they're going to go full fire sale like the Cubs did last year. So I don't know if they're going to be moving guys. It'll be interesting if they trade one guy, if that means the rest of them are available. You know, if they trade Jesus Aguilar, if that means Jorge Soler might be available too. You never know. Uh, but I would expect them to stand pat probably and not trade anybody. Uh, and probably not add anybody either while while they're at it. But um, we'll see, though. Y you never know. And then you have the Nationals at the bottom of the division, as I said. Not really, worth about not really worth talking about. And if we're talking about things that aren't really worth being talked about, the NL Central joins that list, too. I mean, I, I literally, I have notes for every division except for this one because there's nothing really going on. I don't know about any significant injury news. I don't know about anybody coming back from injury, anybody getting injured. Uh, everybody in this division has been relatively stable. I guess something to point out on the good end of things is that the Cubs won four in a row over the weekend, but they blew their game against the Red Sox to go for a series sweep. And then, you know, the Brewers are seven and three in their last 10. So that's also a positive, but that's kind of what you expect after they had that long slump for a little, for a while. And then, you know, they want to reclaim first in this division. Uh, but the Brewers sit top at 46 and 35 the Cardinals sit two back at 44 and 37 after their series loss over the weekend. The Pirates and the Cubs are both at 32 and 47, uh, although the, they're going in much different directions. Pirates three and seven in their last 10. The Cubs six and four in their last 10. Uh, and then the Reds sitting at the bottom, 27 and 51, the punching bag of the division, probably the punching bag of the NL, honestly. Uh, but again, there's really nothing to talk about here. It's just going to be the same thing the whole season, as I said. Brewers, Cardinals, Brewers, Cardinals. Who's in the lead this week? Who's in the lead next week? That's going to be the story. Currently, the Cardinals have the better run differential, but the Brewers have the better record. Uh, history would tell you that means the Cardinals are more likely to actually win the division in the end because once the run differential continues to pile up, the wins normally come with it. But who knows? I don't know if that will happen or not. It's already a close division race to begin with. Uh, and the Brewers really took a hit to their run differential during that massive losing streak. Well, not losing streak that they were. Well, they did have a big losing streak, but that just that whole period where they were slumping for two or three weeks. Uh, so I don't know. I don't know who's going to win this division. I can't tell you. Whatever I said in the preseason is whatever I'm sticking with now. That was probably the Brewers. Uh, so I'll just stick with that just 
for the heck of it because I don't really have another reason to pick the Cardinals because they're still losing this division, but it will be a close race for sure. But let's move on to the NL West where things are much more interesting. The Dodgers might have had the best week of any team in the NL, I think you could argue, uh, for multiple reasons. After their weekend series win over the Braves last weekend, LA entered the week one and a half games ahead of San Diego. And while they lost the first two games in a series against Colorado at Coors, which the Dodgers are now 2-4 and four at Coors this season, and I think if you take out the Pirates and the Rockies uh, from their record, they're a really, really good team. They might be on pace with the Yankees in terms of wins if you take out those two teams. Uh, but I'll move on from that. Uh, the, the Dodgers would carry that momentum from the final game at Coors, where they won, uh, into the weekend where they would take three of four from the Padres to increase the division lead to three and a half games. And while the Dodgers failed to sweep, you know, being up one to nothing for the whole game until the ninth inning, uh, that is a little disappointing as the lead could have been five and a half instead of three and a half. The Dodgers still had a more bittersweet ending rather than just a sour ending to the end of the week because Mookie Betts came back off the injured list uh, and his uh, return debut, whatever you want to call it, was uh, pretty successful. He went two for three with two doubles along with two walks and scored both times he had the doubles uh, with Trey Turner doubling back-to-back -back with him in the first inning and Freddie Freeman knocked him in after uh, on a sacrifice fly in the top of the ninth, or sorry, in the bottom of the ninth as the Dodgers had failed to attempt a, to mount a comeback uh, after they had given up the lead. But uh, it's interesting to note that the Dodgers were going with Betts, Freeman, Turner for the first half of the year pretty much uh, until the injury, and then now after they came back, it, it, or after Mookie came back, uh, Dave Roberts said that he kind of talked to the three of them and asked what the order should be and kind of how they felt, and look, Trey Turner was so good in the leadoff spot that it felt really weird to take him out of there, and you're not going to hit him ninth because he's an all-star and he has power too, uh, so the Dodgers ended up settling on this lineup with Betts, Turner, and Freeman, which I think makes more sense because Freeman excels with runners on base. Turner excels in the leadoff spot. Mookie was playing in the leadoff spot at an MVP, at an MVP level to start the season. So you, you factor all those things together. You basically pretend you have two leadoff hitters. If Mookie doesn't get on, Trey Turner's the leadoff hitter. If Mookie does get on, Trey Turner just continues the inning. And then Freddie Freeman's kind of the, the de facto cleanup guy, although he's not actually hitting cleanup, obviously. Uh, and then Will Smith, with his, with his power, has really stepped into... Really, he should be a really good cleanup hitter for the Dodgers. So uh, that, that all of it feels like it works a little better and it, it's more synchronized. And look, having bets at the top of the lineup just really changes the dynamic for the Dodgers. Uh, but, you know, they still took three or four from their, from their uh, divisional opponent, and that's very important. And uh, while that was going on, the Giants were hoping no one was watching them this weekend because after getting swept at home by the White Sox, the Giants have now lost four in a row and are two and eight in their last ten. There are two games out of third and the final wild card spot in the NL, while the Phillies sit a half game ahead of them too, and they are eight and a half games back of the Dodgers for the division lead, five games back of the Padres. They are in desperate need of a spark before the All-Star break, before they fall way too far behind in the, both the division and the wild card race. Uh, and talking about the records in this division, I talked about the leads. The Dodgers are at 49 and 29, the best record in the NL. The Padres, 47 and 34, as I said, three and a half games back. They're three and seven in their last 10. The Giants at 40 and 37 are two and eight in their last 10. The Rockies are five and five in their last 10 to bring them to 35 and 44. And while the Diamondbacks are three and seven in their last 10, they also sit at 35 and 44. Uh, but that's all I got for this week. I mean, look, that NL West race is interesting. Uh, probably 
one of the more interesting ones when you consider everything going on there. But uh, especially with Tatis's return probably coming soon, you would assume. It's kind of similar to the Mets and the whole Brave situation. But that's it for this week. Uh, that wraps up this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. Please be sure to check out our next podcast, which will be another Surprise Friday edition because, well, there's this thing called NBA free agency going on, and I think it's probably necessary to talk about it, but I wanted to give it its own episode so I can talk about everything going on, including the rumors of things to come that haven't happened quite yet. Uh, in the meantime, be sure to pe- check out my additional content, including my picks for next weekend's games Thursday, my MLB power rankings, which will be updated tomorrow, and an update to my MVP uh, top three list that will be coming on Wednesday. Uh, and all that will be on our website, 4 and24.com. That's the number four, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.